0: Wow, thank you, Dan, for reading for us from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew was convinced that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. And so he quoted a prophecy from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And that prophecy is our sermon text for today. These words are found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Some of them will sound familiar because Dan has just read them from Matthew's gospel, Uh, but there's a little bit more as well. Matthew, nope, Isaiah 9, 1 through 4. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks that these words find their fulfillment in you and that you indeed have set us free. Help us, Lord, to live in that freedom and to rejoice in that freedom and to share that light with those around us. Walk with us, even in the time of darkness, even in times of trouble, and help us to know your presence now and always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God brings light in the midst of darkness. I'd like to explore that idea by walking through the past week of my life with you all, uh, just to give you a few highlights of the past several days. God brings light in the midst of darkness. We'll go back to a week ago today, this past Sunday morning, I had an experience here that I'd like to share with you that I didn't know quite how to put into words during the service as we were singing and worshiping and reading scripture and praying. I found myself gazing out across the congregation as I typically do, but the thought occurred to me in the midst of the service, and this was a really tangible uh, kind of spiritual realization that it struck me how many of us have experienced a loss of a significant person in our lives, a family member, a friend, neighbor, just in the past year or two. And as I gaze across the congregation today, I recognize that's again the case, that so many of us have lost someone who's very important to us, close to us in the past one, two, maybe three years. We share that in common with each other and We have walked with each other in times of darkness and times of despair. Light shines in the darkness. God brings light in the midst of darkness. And one of the ways that God does that is by helping us to band together and support each other and lift each other's arms up in difficult times. That was Sunday. Monday, I read... Um, from start to finish, I think for the first time in my life, I don't know that I had read it straight through all the way before. Um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. It was Martin Luther King Jr. day, and I thought to recognize that day in my own life, I would read his letter from a Birmingham jail. It's long, it is not short. <laughs> um, it, and it, maybe that's why I had never read it all the way through before. But I found that to be another experience of God shining light in the midst of darkness in the midst of a difficult time in our nation's history, in a difficult time in, in uh, Reverend King's life, um, in the difficult time in the state of Alabama where he was in prison, uh, in jail, rather, uh, that, that was a, a time of God shining light and trying to bring to light something that was important to, to share to others. That was Monday. On Tuesday... I learned about Reverend Jim Shanks' death. He passed away Monday night. Uh, Pastor Shanks, of course, was the longtime pastor over at Floyd Church of God and a sister church of ours. Uh, Has been in the Midland community for many, many years. 90 years old. He just turned 90 earlier this year. And uh, has been declining for a while and uh, came to the end of his race uh, this past week. His funeral service is tomorrow at 11 o'clock over in Grand Rapids. If you have... The day free. You can go to Faith United, uh, Faith United Church of God in Grand Rapids, uh, where his funeral service will be um, at 11 o'clock tomorrow. Light shining in the midst of darkness. Um, Jim Shanks is one who shined light in this community for many, many years. I still remember, and I tell people as often as I can, um, when I was new here, when I first came in 2010 to this church, the first pastor who came to say hello to me in this place was Jim Shanks. And it didn't take him long. It was in the first week that he stopped by and introduced himself. I had no idea who this guy was. 80 years old. Who, I don't know. Jim, Good to meet you, Jim. I had no clue what that meant. But Jim Shanks was the first one to greet me here. Uh, light shining. Uh, he's he's a, a shining light in our community. That was Tuesday. Wednesday, we had church at McDonald's. And it was pretty amazing. Uh, for three hours, our youth uh, worked at McDonald's by helping to deliver food and take orders at the drive-thru, right, David? And yeah, I didn't see David for the whole three hours. He was in that window doing his thing. Uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, but the other youth were out there cleaning tables and selling cookies and selling lots and lots of cookies sometimes and having a good time doing it. And then there were so many of us, of our of, of our other church members, our other adults who came and kind of took up the space for those three hours. And it was wonderful that we had so much fellowship and conversation around the table, people sharing about their lives and what was going on. And, and outside of the context of these walls, we, we met together and we were shining light into each other's lives. And I think into the lives of the workers, at least at McDonald's. They said that they really enjoyed having us there. I imagine you know, having other people help to do some of the work. It was never a bad thing, and uh, it just added some some light to the to the time there. It was a wonderful experience. That was Wednesday. Thursday, I was working on this sermon at Grove Tea. I have taken to going to different coffee shops and tea places just to have a variety of scenery and uh, and maybe have a chance to rub shoulders with people in a place other than this facility. So I was at Grove Tea over on, uh, off of Waldo, whatever the it is there, um, out that direction, sitting at the, at the window there, they have some chairs lining a window sitting at a window with my computer t- typing away. And, uh, there was a lady two seats down. She was at her computer doing something over there. And then a gentleman, kind of a big bear of a dude. He was a big gruff looking guy. He came with his tea and sat down right there between us, We're all strangers, we have no idea who we are. And I was just overhearing, just listening, and the the lady said to the man, I'm about to make a phone call, and I might cry. So you might not want to sit right next to me. And uh, after a moment, the gentleman just said to her, complete strangers, he just said to her, well, if you need a hug, I'll be right here. light shining in the midst of darkness that was Thursday Friday I went to see the movie just mercy here at the Midland uh, theater it's a movie that's based on the book by the same title just mercy this is a book by Brian Stevenson this is a copy that lives here at the church and you can take this and read it anytime Uh, it should be I think required reading for everyone Um, It is a story of how Brian Stevenson, uh, a lawyer, Harvard-trained lawyer, um, decided to fulfill his calling to serve the underprivileged, those who cannot afford legal um, aid, and especially those who are on death row who have been, uh, by his investigation, wrongfully or uh, irresponsibly convicted to to death, sentenced to death. he tells many stories in this book, and the movie is very faithful to the to the book by telling many of those stories. It leaves out some of the details, of course, uh, cause the book always tells more than the movie does. Um, but it's an, an emotionally gripping movie and very powerful. And it speaks to the, the some of the issues, some of the problems that we have we have about incarceration and capital punishment and other other issues along those lines. Um, and it the story. Just Mercy is very much a story of light shining in the midst of darkness. I found myself reflecting afterwards about a lot of things related to this movie. But one of them was uh, the idea of prisoners living on death row. And they show uh, what that might be like and, and the jail doors sliding closed and, and the finality of that of that uh, place, that, that kind of institution where, where the prisoners know that they, there's only one way out, um, and the door is closing very uh, solidly against them. And I thought to myself, earlier in that day, earlier on Friday, I had been toying around with a, a device, my phone, trying to get it to connect to some other devices on my garage doors so that I could push a button on my phone and have the door go up how easy it is to make a door go up without any. And yet here are these doors that close and there's no, there's no way out. And some of the folks about 10% by this, uh, by this investigation, 10% of people who have been convicted to death row are wrongfully convicted to, uh, they did not commit the crimes for which they are, uh, they are sentenced to death to death, not just sentenced. It, it's, yeah a lot of processing a lot of thinking anyhow i give that to you as a as a reading resource something that will help you think about uh, about things in a different light light shining in the midst of darkness god always shines light in the midst of darkness when isaiah writes about the people who are walking in darkness or the people who are living in the shadow of death those words can resonate strongly with just about everyone at one point or another in our lives. And they may resonate very strongly with you right now, walking in darkness, living in the shadow, in the land of the shadow of death. Perhaps you, you are grieving a loved one or dealing with a difficult family situation or a health issue or struggling with a job or a joblessness or financial issues. There, are, there is plenty of darkness in our lives let alone in our community and in our world at large. So one of the big questions that people ask is why? Why is there so much trouble and hardship in our lives? And you could come up with a lot of different answers for reasons why, but I'll boil them down to two. Uh, Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes it's just an accident of living in a world where things naturally live and die. We live in a world where our bodies will wear out and eventually even the best and brightest among us will pass away. Uh, that is a faith that is common to all of humanity. And some of the things that happen to us are just normal. It is natural for us to experience both good and bad in this world. And sometimes no one is to blame for the bad things that happen. Uh, sometimes it just happens. But sometimes... Things happen that are due to our choices or someone else's choices uh, that cause harm, either directly or indirectly, to ourselves or to others or to the world around us. And it's that second category where somebody's responsible for making this bad thing happen. That second category that Isaiah and many of the Old Testament focus on. They talk a lot about why there is hardship in the Israelites' lives and many times they point to the Israelites' sinfulness, that they had turned away from God and that God was somehow justified in uh, punishing the people for their sinfulness. They interpreted the difficult times in the Israelites' lives through the lens of saying, this is God trying to bring the people back to God. They understood, the prophets understood, that this pain, whatever the pain was, was intentional and was meant to be restorative, to restore the people to a right relationship with God. In Isaiah's situation, he was writing in the context of exile. The Israelites had been taken off into exile to the north, to Assyria. This is the first of the big exiles that took place. Babylon going off to the east happened later. That was Judah. This is north Israel. And Assyria, the big mega power of the day, had had stormed south and had lopped off some of the northern tribes of Israel first. Zebulun and Naphtali that were mentioned in Isaiah's text are two of those northern tribes. And so Isaiah says, God had humbled Zebulun and Naphtali, and the, the way that God had humbled these people that had turned away from him, the Israelites that had turned from God, was by taking them away from their homeland through Assyria's conquest Assyria's practice of keeping the peace after conquering a land was to, to enact forced resettlement. They would move people from one conquered land to another place and then move the people from that other place back to the one. And so people out of their element, out of their home territory, would have to submit to Assyrian rule. That was, that was their technique. That was their strategy. And Isaiah saw all this as God's unstoppable justice In response to how the people had turned away from him, the Israelites had rejected the living water of God, and so God was sending a flood, the flood of the Assyrian army, which would wash over the land. And Isaiah foresaw that the Israelite people would be powerless to stop the conquest, which was true. No one could stop them. It was a time of great darkness and suffering. Grief and hardship, sorrow and loss. But Isaiah's message is ultimately one of hope. Light shining in the midst of that darkness. Isaiah's message was that God was going to reverse the fortunes of the people of Israel. The Israelites had lost territory, but instead of losing more territory, the Israelites will watch as God enlarges their nation. That's what Isaiah says here. Instead of walking in darkness, they will see a great light. Instead of living in the land of the shadow of death, there will be life and harvest and a great bounty. The yoke, the burden of hardship, the instrument of oppression would be shattered at some point in the future. And so one of our Christmas carols, includes the language, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Isaiah was so confident of God's deliverance at some point, centuries in the future, that he wrote about this deliverance as if it had already occurred. He wrote about it in what prophetic past tense. It's kind of a, a, a perfect tense. If you're into language kinds of things that says this has already happened. The language says he has set the people free. He has shattered the yoke, but the yoke is still on the people. It's a way of being so confident that God will do this in the future. It's as good as already happened. He has shattered the yoke. You can trust it so much this powerful restoration would come in the midst of the people's weakness so that there would be no confusing who was doing the hard work. Who was the source of light? Who was bringing freedom to the people? Isaiah says, as in the day of Midian's defeat, Midian's defeat, we don't, that doesn't automatically bring to mind anything necessarily for us. Who is Midian? Is that a term? Midpoint? Mid, median. No, that's different. What is Midian anyway? Well, we have to go back to the book of Judges. Uh, Judges chapter 6 and 7 tells the story of Gideon. This is where it gets confusing because Gideon rhymes with Midian, but Gideon is not from Midian. Gideon fought against Midian, and I'll try not to keep those two... Uh, not to get those two confused as we tell the story, Gideon was one of the judges that God raised up to bring freedom to the people of Israel. At this point, the Israelites had turned away from God. There's the story again. They had turned away from God, and God had used the Midianites to bring justice to the Israelites. They had been oppressed by Midian for some period of time. And so then along comes Gideon, who is an unlikely hero, right? When we meet Gideon in Judges 6, he is busy hiding himself. He's threshing wheat in the middle of a wine press so that he can hide from the Midianites. He's trying to make staples of food. He's trying to, to survive, but he's doing it in a way that the Midianites won't find him. He's hiding, he's cowering, and an angel appears to him and says, Hail, mighty warrior of the Lord. And he's thinking, What? I'm hiding here. He's not a mighty warrior. He's, he's, he's an unlikely hero. Gideon is the one who uh, is told that he will bring freedom to the Israelites, but he's not real sure about this call. So he tests God twice, right? With his fleece. Remember the story where Gideon sets a, a wool fleece out on the ground overnight and says, okay, God, if it's really you, then make the fleece wet with dew in the morning, but the ground all around it dry, and then I'll know it's you. And God says, okay, and it happens. And that should convince Gideon, but he's not fully convinced yet, so he tries God the other way around. Uh, Maybe that would be too easy. Let's leave the fleece dry this time and have the ground wet all the way around it the next night. And God says, okay. And he makes that happen. And then Gideon is finally convinced. He is an unlikely and doubtful and skeptical hero. But he pulls together 32,000 soldiers. 32,000 soldiers to go and fight against the Midianites and bring freedom from the Midianite oppression. And God says, that's way too many people. 32,000. Because if you get victory with 32,000 people, you will think that you did this yourself. We can't have that. I'm the one who's bringing you freedom, God says, not you. So send them away. Send, pare down the, the course. Do you remember how many soldiers Gideon ended up with at the end? Not 32,000. 300. Less than 1% of what he started with. They left for various reasons, whatever. But then those 300 soldiers, without actually causing any harm themselves, they just had pitchers with... Torches in them. They surrounded the Midianite army and let out the shouts and trumpet blast and broke their torches uh, so everyone could see the light, and the Midianites thought they were surrounded, and mass chaos ensued, and they all destroyed each other. That's uh, kind of a weird way for the story to end, but the point is that God brought freedom to the people of Israel not through their own strength not through their own ability or their own resources or their own weaponry, but through his own power. God gave them the victory. That is how God shatters the yoke that burdens. That is how God removes the rod of the oppressor. Not through the people rising up aggressively and seizing power, but in and through people like Gideon, despite their apparent weakness. God brings power and freedom to to people, not through human power of any sort, but through, for instance, a nonviolent preacher locked in a Birmingham jail cell who writes on the margins of the newspapers that he's given a letter to uh, several other ministers of that area, he calls them to account. This is Martin Luther King Jr.'s story. Through someone who has no physical power at all, someone who is in prison, he writes something that is transformative. That's how God brings freedom to people. It's not through the work of superheroes, but through a child born to a family from Galilee of the Gentiles. It's just a couple of verses after this text that we've read from Isaiah 9 today that we read these words. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will do this. Not our work, but God's work. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of the prophets. In Jesus Christ, the light of life and joy And freedom from oppression has already begun to shine. God has brought salvation into the world, not through a savior riding into Jerusalem on a horse, but through a poor itinerant preacher who was brought into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Jesus brought freedom to people, not by sitting on a throne and making a great proclamation, but by submitting himself to the authorities even to crucifixion at the hands of the very people that he came to save. God did it this way so that we might remember that we are not the source of our own salvation. It is in our weakness that God's strength is made complete. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 12 when he discusses the thorn in his flesh Uh, this thing that never went away, this thing that caused him pain. Uh, He prayed that God would would remove it from him and it never happened, Uh, but he learned that God's power is made complete in our weakness. When we are weak, then we are strong, Paul writes. Not because we are strong in ourselves, but because Christ is strong in us. Many of us have been experiencing grief and hardship over the past few months and years. The promise of Isaiah is that God brings healing to us, a healing which we cannot produce on our own. The promise of the gospel of Matthew, which Dan read for us a little while ago, shows us that this healing comes in the person of Jesus. The one who calls us to repent, the one who calls us to know the kingdom of God is at hand to follow him, to to learn to fish for people. This complete healing that Jesus provides does not take place right away. It's not instantaneous. The light foretold by Isaiah wasn't immediately seen by the people. They were still in exile. Jesus wouldn't show up for 600 years or so. When Jesus proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom of God right now, the kingdom of God is at hand. The people still lived in the kingdom of the Roman Empire. It didn't just magically go away. The oppression just didn't disappear right, right then and there. The people walking in darkness or living in the land of the shadow of death still live and walk in the midst of those circumstances even as the light has begun to dawn. So if you find yourself in a place of grief or hardship, whether because of your choices or because of someone else's choices or just because of the randomness of life, take heart. The light of Christ is shining. We must still work through our grief and our hardship, but we do that work with hope that God will bring healing and light and life as we trust in Jesus Christ. God brings healing to us, a healing which we cannot produce on our own. It's in our weakness that God's strength is made complete or perfect. So as you walk through this upcoming week, take note of how God shines light in the midst of darkness, maybe even every day this week you'll be able to take notes about how that light is shining in the darkness as it occurred to me this past week. Light shining in your life, light shining in the lives of those around you. And when you experience hardship or pain or difficulty of any kind, you can choose one of two reactions, Uh, probably more than just these two, but here are two options for you. And they're both good. This is not a fool's choice. Obviously, you can't choose one. No. You can choose one of two things. You can rejoice in the light that is there, even in the midst of the darkness. And that's a good thing to do. Or you can admit the reality of walking in darkness. The reality of the difficulty of walking in the darkness. The cry out to God, where are you in the midst of this time? That is perfectly all right, too. You can choose one of those two. There might be other options as well, but when darkness shows up in your life, rejoice in the light or admit the reality of the darkness, or maybe both. Whatever you choose, open your heart to God's presence and allow that light to shine in. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks that you are the light and that... In you, we have ultimate hope. We give you thanks that these ancient words find their fulfillment in the coming of one who is ancient too, from of ancient days and one who walked this world two millennia ago. We give you thanks that this same Jesus continues to shine light into our world today. Help us to receive that light well and to reflect that light well to those around us. We give you thanks for the many voices in our world that are speaking for truth and for justice and for righteousness, and we pray that that ours would join with them in the work that needs to be done in this world. Help us, Lord, to be agents of your peace, ministers of your gospel, and citizens of your kingdom. We give you thanks for the life that we have and for the light that you shine. And in all these ways we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things.